Welcome back to the Jacob Wool Show. We're starting live here about 10 minutes early today. Of course, Thursday, January 12, live here on YouTube, just about 10 minutes early. No time to waste. A lot of breaking news coming across the wires, beginning, of course, with this late-breaking report. I mean, this came out uh, less than a half hour ago. This from CNN Politics. Garland appoints special counsel to take over Biden classified documents investigation. So now we have a second special counsel, this one looking into Joe Biden himself over revelations that have just started to come out basically in the last several days that Biden himself was found to have some classified documents where they shouldn't have been. Of course, it began with a revelation that there were classified documents found at Biden's think tank located at the University of Pennsylvania. Now, that was followed by a tweet from Representative Andy Biggs. Uh, Andy Biggs said that the Biden Center received a $53 million gift from the Chinese Communist Party. I'm here to tell you that that is not true. It's not true at all. The reality to that is that the University of Pennsylvania itself, UPenn, received a total of $53 million in gifts from China. If you don't know, we talked about this on the last episode, the, the entire university system is very corrupt on, on many different levels. But one of the ways in which it is very corrupt is that these universities, many of them operate, the private universities, as nonprofits. And they mint billions of dollars in profits. Harvard's got an endowment up over, I think, $60 billion in worth now. They hand it out to hedge funds to trade, mostly by their alumnus uh, that run hedge funds. And they enable people to give gifts, basically, to these endowments. And oftentimes, those gifts are then associated with people getting allowed into the university. They give a gift and they're let in. Well, that happened with UPenn, and they received a total in one year of $53 million in gifts from China. That was not the Biden Center. It was the University of Pennsylvania itself. The Biden Center has not received money from China, uh, according to any reports or any information that we're aware of. Now, of course, Hunter Biden has received gifts from China. But nonetheless, that was Republicans getting out over their skis and making up conspiracy theories that uh, making up facts to establish conspiracy theories essentially didn't happen. So that was the initial report. And then today we learned that, that Biden, essentially the story is, had his own lawyers begin looking around for other classified documents and that they found documents that were classified in his garage alongside his Corvette. Well, now Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel to take over the investigation into Joe Biden. Uh, that special counsel is a man named Robert Hur. Now, we don't know much about Robert Hur. This is, again, just breaking uh, as we speak, just coming out. Uh, the basics on him, as we, as we can kind of read online, are that uh, he is an American attorney who served as US, United States attorney for the District of Maryland from 2018 to 2021. That would seem to suggest that he is a Trump appointee into the position of U.S. attorney. Uh, his name is Robert Q. Young, her. Uh, he looks to me to be perhaps, God, I don't want to guess here, but he looks Japanese to me. I don't exactly know. I don't have an early life section on him here. Uh, 
Harvard College. I came up through the system. He was a partner at King and Spalding, uh, infamous law firm here in the area. And now he has been appointed a special counsel to look into these documents that were found in Joe Biden's garage. Now, I'm going to get to what I think of all this, but first I'm just trying to establish the factual basis around all of this. And of course, we know that uh, prior to these documents being found in Biden's possession, he was very critical of what Trump had done. And, and, and I'll just get to some basic perspective on this first. This is a tweet from John Schindler, a tweet from John Schindler. Uh, and he is somebody who I should point out, we used to work for NSA. Uh, he was a big Russiagate conspiracy theorist. And he sort of points out here, in real life, nobody gets indicted for mishandling confidential, uh, nor usually secret either. But mishandling top secret documents, especially SCI, easily results in DOJ prosecution. Normies sometimes even go to prison for that, though VIPs never do, i.e., he points out, uh, Deutsch, Berger, Petraeus, et al. Many examples of this. Many examples of this uh, where, you know, high-ranking VIPs don't go to jail for this. Now, important to point out, and this is something that one of my friends texted me. He's not really involved in politics at a professional level, but he texted me. He said, well, in relation to this tweet, he said, he said Trump is not a VIP to the deep state. In fact, he's worse than a normie. He's, he's like, he may as well be a proud boy or something. He's not a VIP in the eyes of the deep state. And so he will not receive the kid glove treatment that many others have received, like Hillary Clinton, where they were not prosecuted for mishandling classified information. Of course, it all comes with this backdrop that far too many things are classified. Far too many things are marked classified. They're marked classified for usually 50 years, and they shouldn't be. They're not really important. I mean, for example, why would the body camera footage of all of the global war on terror raids that have happened over the past, you know, I guess getting now close to 25 years, but let's even say from two, the year 2001 to 2018, why would those all be still classified? Those would be great to watch. It'd be really entertaining. It would be much better than police body camera footage in all likelihood. For much of that period, they did have true body cameras. Why haven't the tapes of the bin Laden raid been declassified? I mean, we don't need to see the section where they're rifling through documents, if there's anything sensitive in those documents even. There's probably not. Why hasn't that been declassified? Should be. It absolutely should be. So far, too many things are classified. That's number one. Now, here's what Biden said on 60 Minutes not that long ago. Joe Biden was asked by Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes what he thought of the revelations about documents at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, and here's what he had to say. And you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. What did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. 
and you don't know. So there you go. And now we learn that Biden had classified documents in his own garage, not especially locked up, not uh, made clear to the Secret Service or rather to the National Archives uh, that they were there. And they'd been there for a long time, presumably since he left office in January 2017 as vice president or maybe even sooner. They were in his garage for years and years and years. And again, I'm not personally outraged by this. There's the hypocrisy element of it, but this show is not about pointing out the left's hypocrisy. It's not. There are other shows that do that. You know, they, they make their entire show out of, oh, look at this liberal. He didn't wear a mask, but he told other people to wear a mask. Yeah, we get it. The left are hypocrites. Those in power don't follow their own rules. They don't believe their own nonsense. We know that. But they, don't, they also don't care if you know that. They don't care if you think of them as hypocrites. It doesn't matter to them. They continue to dominate you. And so it's not a very productive thread to pull on. It doesn't lead anywhere to simply point that out, unless you're just shopping for retweets and shopping for uh, boomer engagement online. Well, here's Peter Ducey uh, just this morning, uh, earlier today, asking Biden about uh, these documents. Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but anyway. Was in a locked garage. Yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents in my, uh, of, from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas and file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center. The Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, the Department of Justice was immediately notified, and the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. So you're going to see. We're going to see all this unfold. I'm confident. Thank you very much. Again, I don't really care. Uh, the problem here is is just living in a place where, at the end of the day, CIA, FBI, DOJ are in charge, not elected leaders. Now Biden's got his own special counsel investigation to contend with. His own special counsel investigation hanging over his presidency. Of course, nothing will happen. Democrats are allowed to do whatever they please. You know, part of this is, and there's there's this theory out there, I don't necessarily subscribe to it. In fact, I, I'm going to say that as of now, I, I don't subscribe to it. I don't see reason to. But there's a theory out there that what this is, is an effort to uh, paint the Department of Justice with a brush of fairness, with a brush of, of, of appearing apolitical. So that ultimately they can charge Trump and say, look, we looked into Biden, too. We had, a, we had our own special counsel for Biden. It's fair. And 
that's a possibility. But appearing to be partisan, appearing to be partisan hacks, appearing to be totally and utterly politically motivated, has not stopped these people in the past. It has not stopped these people from dogging the Trump presidency nearly the entire time. It hasn't stopped people from arresting Americans all across the country. It didn't stop uh, the Proud Boys from being charged with seditious conspiracy. They're in trial today, several of them, including Joe Biggs, Enrique Tario, and others, for seditious conspiracy in the District of Columbia in relation to January 6th where only their words seem to matter, not whether or not they had the means to carry out whatever the DOJ claims that they were conspiring to do in what they call an attack, but in, a, in something where not a single Capitol Police officer, not a single lawmaker, nobody was injured. Well, I mean, there's some light injuries, but nobody was killed, certainly. Uh, there was the officer who they said was killed, but of course that turned out to be a complete and utter hoax. He had a heart condition, uh, had a stroke, basically a seizure issue, uh, had nothing to do with people beating his head in with a fire extinguisher, which is what they claimed for months and months and months, even as his body lay in the Capitol Rotunda for a memorial, laying in state in the Capitol Rotunda. So it's never stopped these people in the past. That's why I don't think that this is some theory. Now, you may say that, well, the, the prospect of prosecuting Trump is something that rises to the level where it necessitates a more sophisticated scheme in order to look judicious. It, it, it's, it's much in the same way that, you know, Mueller would at least leak that he was looking at charging Tony Podesta. Do you remember that? That's the brother of John Podesta, who's a big time lobbyist has very bizarre paintings and sculptures of like nude children in his home. And that was one thought that was, that was put out there uh, that, you know, they, they try to look impartial, but they just claim they're impartial. I, I don't see a need to crop up a whole second special counsel's office to look into Biden to say, well, you know, see, we looked into this and now we're not afraid to charge Trump. I don't think they were ever afraid to charge Trump. Now, of course, Trump's whole issue in this is that Trump is poorly represented in terms of his lawyers. None of this would be a problem for Trump if he had hired competent counsel to handle these things. But instead, Trump hires bimbos to be his lawyers these days. He has this entire special counsel investigation, his representation in it being headed up by this Lindsay Halligan woman who has practiced law for a couple of years in landlord-tenant disputes in Palm Beach, has no experience with federal prosecutions, no experience with national security investigations, none. And if he had handled it with competent legal counsel, I'm reasonably confident that he wouldn't be in the position he's in with a special counsel and the raid and all of that. People say, well, why didn't they raid Biden's home? Well, I, I imagine they'll probably be going through Biden's home with a fine-tooth comb now to try to track down any more documents. But the reason there wasn't a raid is because his own lawyers called in the DOJ to come pick up the documents. That's why. Trump's lawyers didn't do that. Trump's lawyers swore up and down that there were no classified documents, that there were no documents marked secret. Whether they actually were classified or not at the time, we don't know. But they testified under oath. They signed attestations under oath that there were no documents even marked top secret. 
or marked secret on the premises. Could that have been an honest mistake? Sure. But that's why you hire lawyers that don't make mistakes in a situation like that. You hire lawyers that are thorough and professional, but Trump didn't do that. So there's there's part of that that is that is important. Uh, Chris says here in the live chat, email to be reached at. Uh, yeah, you can use jacob at jacobwall.org. Jacob at jacobwall.org if you'd like. Sure. Sure. Hi, Dan uh, from Canada's capital. And um, so it's it's really... It's really something. Uh, somebody says here, what is it about power that leads to pedophilia? This is Martin in the chat. Well, I, I think that if you if you have somebody who's a pedophile and they happen to be, let's say, high enough functioning as a person to get a job that's a prestigious job, they're going to look to work in places where they're going to have autonomy. They're going to have authority. Um Oftentimes, they're going to look for a job where they will have access to children. So they'll become a social worker or they'll become a baseball coach, teacher, of course. Um, If they're in the right kind of social circles and milieu, they'll go work at the CIA because then they go overseas and they're not supervised very closely. And they're already essentially being paid to lie, cheat and steal. And so. They have to, at a minimum, be morally flexible, and so it attracts those kind of people. I don't think it's that power turns somebody into a into a pedo for the most part. I think that somebody's a pedo, and 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 they see the opening to power, and they have the capability, and they see that as being something that can further uh, their sickness, their their urge, and uh, I think that's what that's what kind of does it for the most part. If, if that's just my my two cents based on what we've done with Predator DC. That's my two cents on this. Okay, so that's um, that's what's going on here. Uh, it's it's just sad to see that you know yet another special counsel Biden's presidency now Biden's got to deal with this. It's ridiculous. All these special counsels running around. It, it makes it makes no sense. It's it's an, this whole thing is a non-issue. And of course, we we never get told what kind of documents these even were. We're never going to know because they're classified. So I don't see how you can even bring one of these cases to trial. And and it just becomes a situation where we don't know. We're talking about this document, that document. We don't know what the document says at all. We don't know at all. So... We shall see. Uh, somebody asked you in the chat, Chris, how do you think chat GPT and other language of technology will uh, alter the online political space? Well, the bot networks are going to be stepped up big time. They already are. You have bot networks that are integrated with AI tools. And so the AI, what the AI tool can do is let's say you have 100 accounts and you want them to all go out and kind of say the same thing. You could then, in the old days, you'd have a human alter what they're saying to kind of say the same thing, but use different words to appear real. Now the AI can do that in, say, half a second, distribute that down to all the accounts for multiple different kind of attack lines that you want to run and and do this. And that wasn't necessarily chat GPT that needed to do this. There's been, they call them AI, let's just call it neural network driven tools that have been able to do this for some time. And so that's part of, that is already happening. 
uh, DOD and DARPA have tools that do that at scale. And in fact, write whole articles for fake news sites that they run. That's been reported on. We went over the DARPA 2023 budget. They have about five different programs that do some version of that. So that's how that alters the political space in some way. I want to go hear what's happening in the House. McCarthy uh, has kicked some Democrats off of some committees that they should have been kicked off of, obviously, a long time ago. This is the report from the Daily Mail. Kevin McCarthy kicks Democrats from powerful committee positions. Republican Speaker Boots Squad member Ilhan Omar from Foreign Affairs. and removes Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from Intelligence. Of course, I was calling on Ilhan Omar to be removed from Foreign Affairs back in 2019, hard to believe, three years ago. Had the viral petition uh, that got, I think it's now up over 300,000 signatures or something. It had over a quarter million. It really got a lot of momentum on change.org, front page of Newsweek and all that. We then went and investigated her as far as this claim that she had married her brother. We found that claim to be legitimate. We looked at the records. We interviewed witnesses in Minneapolis. And when we did the press conference at CPAC announcing that, of course, not endorsed by CPAC. They didn't like that we did this. Um, that's when I was banned on, on Twitter. It was basically right as I was doing that press conference. I was knocked out on Twitter. Banned. February 26, 2019. And I am still not back. And I, and I don't know why. I'm ready. I'm here. The whole system of bringing people back to Twitter seems to be pretty arbitrary, but we'll see. So anyway, this is what's happening in the House. He is kicking these people off the committees. Obviously, Swalwell and Schiff shouldn't be on Intel. That's crazy. Uh, Freshman rep George Santos will get some committee assignments. That's normal. Uh, That is totally normal. And um, everybody's going to be kind of assigned here. We'll see how this shakes out. This is another thing that McCarthy said here as far as the uh, video footage. Of January 6th, this this has been this question about why haven't these 14,000 hours been released? Um, let's take a listen to this here. 20 of them last Congress called on Speaker Pelosi at the time to release the, the adjacent Capitol Hill security footage of all things that happened on that day. Is that something that you'd be interested in doing? Um, Congressman Gates said that he said that you would be willing to do that. Is that- yeah, I, I think the public should see what has happened on day. I've watched what Nancy Pelosi did where she politicized it. We're for the first time in the history as a speaker not allowing the minority to appoint to a committee, to pick and choose. We watched the politicization of this. I think the American public should actually see all what happened instead of a report that's written for a political basis. And uh, I think the answer. We're looking through that. I want to be very thoughtful about it. But yes, I'm engaged to do that. that. Okay, so you can go multiple different directions with this as far as whether McCarthy is actually going to do it when he says we need to be thoughtful about it and all of that. I don't know exactly what that means. Now, first of all, you talk about 14,000 hours. The American people are not going to watch 14,000 hours of footage. Okay, they're they're not going to watch 14,000 hours of footage. I think that really there, there are a couple of key things that people want to see on the surveillance footage for the most part. There are a couple of things that that the American people really do want to see. 
I would caution people, though, as far as the, the release of this footage and what people think that they might stand to learn from this. I mean, there have been certain claims that, that people make. They say, well, they don't want to release the footage because if they do, we'll see that it was actually Antifa that broke into the Capitol. Well, okay. I can tell you personally, having been in the area on January 6th, Okay, not having broken the law, of course, you know that because I'm still here, not having committed any crimes, not having entered the Capitol that day, but having been in the area, I did not witness Antifa that day. I'm sure there were some around. I mean, they're, they're kind of everywhere if you have a big political thing, but I didn't see them. On December, what was it? Was it December... It wasn't December 12, was it? I think it was, no, because that would have been my birthday. But there was another rally earlier on, maybe the 7th, maybe December 7th. Uh, there was another rally that took place. There was tons of Antifa there. They were beating people down. There's the videos of it, stabbing people, beating people, throwing baby strollers over, all of that stuff. In that earlier December Stop the Steel rally. So anyway, people think that they're going to learn something from this 14,000 hours. What I would caution people is that the, the release of all this $14,000 of surveillance footage might basically lend to the Department of Justice people that will obsess over this footage, say, you know, look at this video, rightly or wrongly accuse people of doing things that day, lead those people to be arrested when they wouldn't have otherwise been arrested. So I, I would just caution people in terms of what they really believe the value of this surveillance footage would be. Like I've said, I mean, when you look at Ray Epps, for example, I think that the true story with Ray Epps is something like this. I don't think that Ray Epps is an FBI special agent, DHS, you name it, any federal law enforcement agency, and I, and I don't think that he ever has been. I also don't believe that Ray Epps was an undercover uh, agent of any kind for any of these groups. I also don't believe that he was any kind of confidential informant working at the behest of any law enforcement groups. What I believe is that Ray Epps was specifically picked out in those videos and he was left out of being prosecuted so that all of right-wing media, all of the people looking into this like gnats or, or mosquitoes around a lamp, around a light or moths around a lamp would kind of glom on to the Ray Epps thing and not continue to look far and wide and look elsewhere for perhaps involvement of federal informants, undercover agents, or just overt uh, federal law enforcement officers. That's what I believe, is that he is essentially left out there as a lightning rod for conservatives to look at. He has no federal involvement. He has said so under oath now, we know. Other people have said so under oath. Now, in the open hearings, they kind of deny it, but without denying it. And I think that's to further the conspiracy theory. Because you have to ask yourself about Ray Epps. If they are trying to make him the center of attention of people trying to find feds that day or what have you, they've succeeded. And the second that they charge him, that ceases to be the case. They seem to do the same thing for a long time with Stuart Rhodes, but then ultimately they did charge him and he's now been convicted on several counts in a trial in, in the District of Columbia. So that's my feeling on that. And I, and I don't know exactly what people think that they're going to learn from this footage, but we shall see. And it does sound like McCarthy is sort of one foot in and one foot out as far as that, as far as that footage. And so 
We shall see. How do you even release it? I don't know. I mean, what do you do? I mean, what, what do you, you put out a Dropbox of it, you know, terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of footage? How do you even serve it up? I don't know. And so it's something that, you know, we shall see, but that's another promise out from McCarthy. Uh, somebody asked in the chat here, was the marriage consummated? He means between Ilhan Omar and her brother. No, this wasn't an incestuous kind of thing. Um, besides the, the legally being incestuous, what this marriage was, was it was a sham marriage to get the brother who also happens to be gay, by the way, openly gay into the country because there had been student visa issues. Uh, he then got all kinds of fraudulent student loans, but it was basically a way of getting the brother into the country. And because of the naming conventions and all of that in Somalia, they were able to do it. So that's where that was. It wasn't about like, she wanted to actually be married to her brother. In fact, she was basically married to another man at the same time, just not legally married. They did the legal marriage to the brother as an immigration scam. It's more common than you think, actually. Uh, we had this report out today. I want to talk about here briefly. Uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal, but it's been reported elsewhere. Uh, new court filings from John Ray. This is the executive who has taken over FTX for purposes of bringing it through the bankruptcy. Well, they say they've managed to recover some $5 billion in cash and liquid assets. Bankrupt cryptocurrency exchange FTX said it located more than $5 billion in cash and other liquid assets and is hoping to sell hundreds of additional investment holdings with a book value of more than $4.6 billion. Those assets are valued as of FTX's bankruptcy filing in November and don't include $425 million held by authorities in the Bahamas, company lawyers said on Wednesday in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court in Wilmington, Delaware. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, FTX lawyers also told the judge overseeing the bankruptcy case that the amount of the shortfall in FTX customer funds isn't yet clear. The company is working on determining the size of the claims pool and potential recoveries for some 9 million customer accounts it has identified. FTX lawyer Andrew Dietrich said in a court hearing, Mr. Uh, Mr. Dietrich said that new FTX management is building financial statements from the ground up rather than using previous statements. The company is also well underway on plans to monetize over 300 other non-strategic investments with a book value over $4.6 billion. So, it looks like all the money could be there in some form or another. Now, is it still illegal in terms of, you know, uh, people never signed off on their money being made into these investments and all of that, and now their money's been locked up? Of course it is. I mean, it's still, it's still a problem, legally speaking. But it would really be something to see if all the money were somehow recovered, the losses were not what we thought that they were, which would have been basically 100%, and people got their money back eventually. That would lend towards the perspective of Sam Bankman-Fried trying to buy some time here, not just walking in as quickly as possible and pleading guilty and, and drawing this thing out. I mean, I can't even imagine the morass of, of accounting that these people have to do, this big mess, because they were using QuickBooks and hardly had any accounting. But uh, it's an incredible thing to, to think that they somehow have tracked down maybe, I guess they had an $8.8 .8 billion shortfall was the thinking. Now they say nine, but if they've got five and they got 4.6, now the 4.6 are really illiquid. There's 400 million that the Bahamians took. I'm not sure if they're counting the Robinhood shares here that DOJ has now placed an asset forfeiture on. 
a civil forfeiture on. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is now out with his own Substack article on the topic. He clearly believes, and this is what I advised him in the brief time that I got to speak to him for about five minutes, that the old school way of PR is not good for a situation like this. The the approach that, say, Harvey Weinstein took, where he just stayed quiet and, and his lawyers told him, don't say a word, we'll fight it all in court years from now. But by then, he had already been convicted in the court of public opinion. Instead, he is coming out. Now, as far as what he's saying, is it true? Is it not true? I don't know. But saying almost anything in a case like this is better than saying nothing, even if it creates little hangups in terms of legal problems. The legal problems are already so dense that, you know, those little hangups are not something to worry about. We also learned uh, from a, I believe it was a Forbes writer who's interviewed on CNBC this week. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried now has a German shepherd described as a 75 pound German shepherd named Sandor uh, for security. Apparently, after some kind of a crazy person uh, tried to break into uh, the family home there and place him under citizen's arrest, uh, he was already, of course, very much under arrest, um, or at least, you know, out of custody, house arrest pending trial. Uh, so they now have a German shepherd named Sandor. Uh, probably a good bet. Uh, probably a good bet. I would say, I mean, I say for the, for most people, for most people, if you really think that you need a working dog and you, you can handle a true working dog, for most people, the working line, a working line, a true, highly vetted working line German Shepherd is probably the way to go. You know, and, and obviously probably a male, uh, intact male. Um, that's probably the best bet for most people. I've got a Doberman myself, Arthur, of course. Um and then his sister, Eva, who's a KNPV Malinois slash, you know, Dutch Shepherd, depending on what you, you know, how you delineate the two is really the same in the KNPV Dutch lines. And those are probably not the right dogs for most. I mean, because it's very hard to find a good Doberman with the right temperament, with the right characteristics, with the right health markers. It's very difficult. They just don't make many of them. It could take you years. I mean, it took me a year to find Arthur. Uh, Malinois, you can find. They make a lot of them, obviously, for for police work, military work, uh, citizens who need them, all of that. Um, the Dutch lines are good. I like them for, you know, the, the K&PV lines would be my preference. That's what I have in EVA. Um, but for most people, uh, that's going to be a little bit too much. It's going to be a little bit too much for most people, unless you are an extremely, extremely high energy, intense person yourself. Uh, probably it's not a good idea. Like when I had them both in an apartment, didn't have a yard. I mean, I was walking 10 miles a day with them. Very regular. I mean, at least eight, more like 10 most days. So if that sounds like, you know, a, a death trap to you, you, you don't want a Malinois because it, it's that kind of energy. I mean, it's, it's, you, you really, People, people can't even truly imagine it until you've, you've seen it and, and really until you've lived with it. Um, it. It's hard to imagine that level of intensity in a dog. I, I think a lot of people just can't quite imagine it. So for most people, it's, it's like that, but just dial it back a bit and, and a working line German Shepherd would be best. They make kind of short haired German Shepherds too these days. They're pretty common. Uh, some of the check lines with shorter hair, working line Shepherds that uh, you know, there would be a problem for me would be the long hair with my allergies and just keeping, you know, cleaning up after them. But, um, 
but they make them now where, where the hair is really not much longer than like a Malinois. It's, it might be, you know, about the same anyway. So Sam Bakeman Freed now has one of those now has one of those. So we will see, um, Let's see here. The way I see it, if you aren't doing at least an hour of activity a day at bare minimum for your dog, don't even bother. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And and it's mental stimulation, too. You know, I mean, this thing that you you see in the ghetto where they, you've got the pit bull chained up outside and these that's not going to work for these kind of dogs. That's going to be a nightmare um, for you, for them, for everyone, for your neighbors. Dangerous, bad, bad news. Okay. Um, we can talk more about dogs. So if you have questions, you can send them in jacobwool.org slash contact or jacob at jacobwool.org. I've become a bit of an expert myself. I've trained these two dogs. Arthur's basically trained to a, I would say a high level, um, you know, police or military standard. Um, you know, very, very highly trained, mostly by me and little bit of training with outsiders, basically, so I could learn the ropes and, and took it from there myself. Eva's getting there. I mean, she's not even a year old yet, so it's going to be another, it's going to be some time with her working on it still, but uh, it takes time. We can talk about that. Moving on to another element uh, of, of defense for a lot of people. We had a ruling out of the Fifth Circuit last week, this out of Texas, uh, overturning Trump's Bump stock ban. This report is from redstate.com. Friday, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals struck down the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, BATFE, rule outlawing so-called bump stocks. These devices harness the natural recoil of a semi-automatic rifle to comfortably and accurately increase its rate of fire. I don't know about accurately, maybe comfortably. I mean... You know, accurately is it depends what your definition of accurate is, I guess. BATFE ruled for nearly 10 years that bump stocks did not convert a semi-automatic rifle into an automatic rifle, or in the parlance that the FTF that the ATF actually uses, they they call it a machine gun. Uh, in fact, a little piece of metal made out of a coat hanger that can convert an AR-15 and and sort of pseudo make it fire full auto, you know, if it's just right and the thing doesn't come out or what have you. That little thing made out of the coat hanger is technically considered a machine gun itself under the law, the way the ATF does this. The combination of law and rules and, you know, it's all a mess, but people have been prosecuted for that. Uh, but anyway, it says here, uh, but in the aftermath of the 2017 Las Vegas shooting where the gunman used a bump stock, President Trump directed the attorney general to have the BF, the BA. God, they, they even in this article, they write B-A-F-T-E. It's B-A-T-F-E, but they wrote it wrong. It's a typo in the article. Change their previous legal opinions and ban the device. Okay, so if you don't know exactly, the typical rule has been if you're making one action of the trigger, pull or release, because in the competition world, for like Olympic-style um Biathlon shooting, for example, or rimfire target shooting, they'll sometimes have triggers that fire on release, this kind of high end. So it can be one movement of the trigger means it's semi-automatic when it fires. Whereas if one movement of the trigger generates 
multiple shots from a single barrel because you have some double barreled shotguns that you know can fire that way. That's a different story. Then they're, according to the ATF, a machine gun. That's their definition. Bump stocks, of course, don't change the fact that each time the trigger has to be pulled, it just enables those pulls to happen more quickly because of the fact that the recoil is basically bouncing the rifle back and forth as you place steady pressure with your with your off hand. And, you know, can you do it accurately? Is there a real purpose to it? Uh, basically, it's for fun. I mean, I guess if you had the right kind of setup and you had belt feds and you were using this and you could fire them in concert, which is how which is how, you know, automatic weapons are usually intended to be used is, is not just one of them, but multiple of them in order to, you know, put down suppressive fire, shoot and maneuver uh, on a target. That's generally how they're used. I suppose you, you could use them that way, but I, I mean, it's really not ideal. And if you were really set on doing something like that, you would just drill the third hole, as it were or do whatever necessary to, to, to make whatever else a, a machine gun, if you really wanted to, I suppose. Uh, I think that this bodes pretty well, by the way, for pistol braces. Remember, I told everybody to just, just hold your horses on the pistol brace question. It's something I've covered. I know there was a draft document that came out that suggested that probably they were preparing to ban them. I said, just hold your horses because what this would seem to me is to really bode well for pistol braces as far as these arbitrary ATF rules that they pass. And also for, for other devices, uh, which have been sort of banned by sort of rule changes at the ATF level, not by Congress, such as, for instance, forced reset triggers. Well, there's different triggers out there. I mean, you have, for example, binary triggers where it fires once when you pull, once when you release. Um, they have force reset triggers where basically the the reset of the trigger when you when you release it is a it's a stronger spring. In other words, it, it really pushes out hard and it creates a similar sort of effect to what a bump stock would create if you have it down. Again, the, the issues with these things with the force reset triggers and the binary triggers are that um, they can really, it seems they're not something that you'd want to depend on. I, I, I'm not aware of one of these devices, um, force reset triggers or binary triggers that certainly I, I would ever want to bet my life on. Um, just kind of finicky, not just not quite there as terms of reliability jams. Uh, it's just not, you know, and, and people jigger with them, but I, I put them, I, I'd put them thoroughly within the, or, or at least, you know, Confidently, I would put them in the in the novelty category, not in the bet your life on category, you know, and, and you can do whatever you please. Um, but I think it bodes well for those as well from a legal standpoint. So you just have to uh, this guy says, I prefer my Bukovian shepherd. OK, um, yeah, so it's 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 something that we'll have to see. So just just hold your horses. This could tee up a Supreme Court battle. That seems likely. We shall see. Don't don't lose your minds on all this. Um, we'll see what happens here. Keep monitor. Well, I'll keep monitoring the situation. There was a, a robbery in Houston, where uh, basically this uh, multiple felon, as the Daily Mail reports here, robber uh, thirty who was killed in Houston restaurant by vigilante. I wouldn't call him a vigilante. Just a guy defending the people in the restaurant. 
He was a criminal who already was on bond for assault and spent six years in jail for armed robbery. But uh, now a grand jury will decide if the hero customer who protected everyone will face charges. Uh, and I'm going to show you a local report here video. If you're listening, I'm, I'm sorry, but you'll get a sense just from the audio of this clip. Uh, many of you already seen the surveillance footage. So the, the, the armed citizen just, you know, shot the guy, multiple shots, took him down, stripped him of his weapon. I think he sort of gave the cash back to people that he had, that this criminal had taken it from. And then he walked out and left. The police said, we're, he's not under arrest. He's not charged, but we would like to talk to him. Do you know who he is? Now he is, uh, they're going to bring it before a grand jury. The Soros DA in the area will, I guess, to see if they're going to be charging him. So pretty unreal. Uh, here is... Um, Here's the clip from the local news here. Starting tonight with an update to the wild story that a lot of people are talking about. The man who shot and killed a robber will not face any charges, at least not right now. Fox 26's Matthew Seedorf joining us live from HBD headquarters downtown with the new information in this case. Matthew. Yeah, Jonathan, that man met with Houston police today. They're not arresting him or charging him, but that could still change. And I hope he met with his with a lawyer with them. You, you really, I really hope he did because as you all know, you never, ever, ever, ever just talk to the police. You always ask for your lawyer. You never talk to the police, even if they tell you you're not a suspect, even if they tell you they just want you to help out with something, um, even if they tell you that your life could depend on it. You always get a lawyer. If the lawyer decides that it's appropriate for an interview to take place when they are present, then you do that. But you never, ever, ever talk to the police. And it seems no matter how many times you tell people this, they make the mistake and they end up in trouble uh, anyway, because they always think, well, they, they told, but they told me that, uh, blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, you still don't talk to them. And, and I mean, I've seen it with women. It's like you tell them a hundred times and they manage to talk themselves into trouble anyway, or they open the door for cops when they shouldn't. All of that stuff. Awful. Terrible. I hope he brought his lawyer. New details involving this dramatic shooting inside a Houston restaurant. Police now identifying the would-be robber as 30-year-old Eric Eugene Washington. Late Thursday night, Eric barged into this taqueria off South Gessner, wearing all black, a ski mask and gloves, demanding money from customers while holding what police would later call a fake plastic gun. Then this man taking action, shooting Eric eight times as he heads to the door. Then once more, while on the ground, killing him. Thank God no one else was hurt. The restaurant owner and workers calling this man a hero. Returning the stolen money to customers and leaving in an old pickup truck before police arrive. Just thankful for the man who helped me and I just wanted him to take care of himself. Online records reveal Eric had been out of jail on bond during the attempted robbery. Recently charged with assaulting a family member, the 30-year-old also previously convicted for aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon, a case 10 years ago that resulted in the death of a 62-year-old Houston man. Police Monday meeting with the customer who fired these shots. So far, choosing not to arrest him or charge him with a crime. Tonight, this incident is now being handed over to a grand jury. We're live downtown tonight. Matthew Seedorf, Fox 26 News. Well, there you go. Now being handed over to a grand jury, as we just as we just heard. Um, 
you know, th- there's there's some question about, well, what about that last shot when he was on the ground? Was that one legal? Well, there's a couple things. Maybe the guy was already dead, in which case it's, what is it, defacing a dead body or something? Uh, could be the maximum charge. But I, I will tell you there are countless cases that you can find of where situations where, say, a, a convenience store clerk shoots the bad guy, bad guy goes down, bad guy appears to be totally down and out of the fight, and then the bad guy who's down then, you know, comes to life somehow and, and, and manages to then get off another shot, sometimes injuring, sometimes killing the clerk who thought he had just won the fight or killing somebody else there. So it has happened. It's happened many times. I've even heard stories from people I've known like this uh, secondhand, uh, but there are countless videos you can see like this. And so, you know, whether you can establish that the intent of that very last shot now equates to murder, I, I don't know. I don't, I doubt it. And um, I would hope that a grand jury does not, does not charge this man here. I mean, this is what you would hope somebody would do. Um, by the way, I mean, the fact it's a play, a fake plastic gun, it turns out it doesn't make this any less of an armed robbery. It's still an armed robbery. Um, if you're presenting it as a, a real gun or even a fake one, if you're threatening to injure people with it. Um, so it's, uh, hopefully the man's not charged there. Of course, the Soros, uh, left-wing DA is bringing this before the grand jury. It never should be brought before the grand jury, uh, at all. He should receive a medal. But this kind of crime is is all too common these days, and I I just absolutely would would hate to wonder what would happen in this case if this man were, say, white instead of Hispanic. I can tell you it wouldn't be good. He'd be charged in a second, and we see that happen all the time. So uh, that's the news, folks. We're going to keep covering all these stories, have updates for you Monday, 2 p.m. live here on YouTube. Hopefully I'm back on Twitter by then. I'm crossing my fingers. I, I don't know what the holdup is here. Um, but thanks so much for watching. What are my thoughts on pit bulls? Pit bulls have, have problems here. I'll say just before we'll talk about that on the next episode. Remind me to talk about that on the next episode. Pit bulls, pit bulls are not something you want. And I'll explain why I will explain why. Um, but in essence, some of the aggression that's been bred into the breed has to do with congenital brain cancers, where at a certain age, they just turn and become aggressive. And they're like, it was always a nice dog for six years. And then it killed grandma or killed the kid or killed the neighbor's kid. That's because it the aggression that they thought they were breeding for was actually congenital brain tumors. It hits at a certain age or dementia hits at a certain age, early onset dementia. And then the dog goes wild. And it's so common within pit bulls. Um, so there's just, you may have the sweet, the sweetest little pit bull that would never hurt a fly until it does. And that kind of behavior does not exist in the other breeds. That's, you see it in the pit bulls. That's a problem. You don't want them. I'm just telling you, you don't want them. Um, stay away. Not a fan of pit bulls. They're basically, you know, the huge, the overwhelming majority of all dog problems, bites, injuries, deaths are pit bulls. Okay. See you on the next episode Tuesday live. But you can support the show financially, cash app at Real Jacob Wool, or you can go to jacobwool.org slash podcast. Either one, cash app Real Jacob Wool or jacobwool.org slash podcast. Love to have you today, and I'll see you Monday, 2 p.m. live. Have a great weekend in the meantime, everyone, and I'll see you then.